morning as our kids dismiss and um, get ready for their, uh, their good times upstairs. Uh, we are continuing our sermon series this morning on, uh, on Jesus stories as a series that we're in. We're looking at different parables that Jesus taught. We've done uh, two, I guess, at this point. This is the third one, three of ten. Uh, Adam will be speaking on one next Sunday morning, so be, be praying for him. Um, and so far, the three that God has led me to have all been from the Gospel of Luke, uh, the Gospel according to Luke. And we're there again this morning in Luke chapter 20, if you have your Bibles with you and you want to turn to that. Uh, let's just read this story uh, before I talk to you about it. Let's read what Jesus had to say in this situation and in this time and in this place. Um, I might give just a little background here to realize uh, that at the end of uh, chapter 19 in the book of Luke, uh, the, the Jewish leaders of the time were already trying to figure out how to kill him. They were already talking about it. If you go back and look at the end of chapter 19 and uh, verse 29, it says, As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, uh, I'm reading in the wrong place, uh, chapter 19 and the end of verse uh, 47. Every day he was teaching at the temple, but the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him. That's where we are. He's already had uh, what, we, uh, what we celebrate on the Sunday before Easter, Palm Sunday, his triumphant entry into Jerusalem where people were laying palm leaves down. They were shouting, Hosanna to the king. Uh, that has already happened by the time we get to chapter 20 of Luke. That means we are just a few days away from his crucifixion, from his death, and then from his resurrection in this story. As it moved on to the verse first of chapter 20, uh, it, these leaders, the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders at the time, the leaders of Israel, the nation of Israel, uh, began to ask Jesus questions. They wanted to know upon what authority was he baptized when John the Baptist baptized, baptized him. He, he didn't really answer uh, that question. Um, he kind of sidestepped it, Jesus did, uh, and... Uh, he said, um, uh, let's see exactly what he said. Who gave you authority? Jesus replied, I will ask you a question. Tell me, John's baptism, was it from heaven or human origin? So they wanted to know, Jesus, what's your authority? And so he asked them a question that really got them all tangled up, and they really know how to answer it. And they basically said, we don't know where it was from. And then in verse 8, Jesus said, Neither would I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. And then he moves in to a story to talk about and explain his position. So in verse 9, we start in chapter 20. He went on to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard, rented it to some farmers, and went away for a long time. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants, so they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. He sent another servant, but that one also they beat and treated shamefully and sent away empty-handed. He sent still a third, and they wounded him and threw him out. 
Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my son, whom I love. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they talked the matter over. This is the heir, they said. Let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When the people heard this, they said, God forbid. Jesus looked directly at them. There's something about that verse. Those words. God in the flesh looking you in the eye. At the very people that were going to be crucifying him in the next few days. They said, then what is the meaning of that which is written? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. He's quoting the Old Testament there. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. The teachers of the law and the chief priests looked for a way to arrest him immediately because they knew he had spoken this parable against them, but they were afraid of the people. That's the story. Chapter 20, verses 9 through 19 uh, there's been many times with Roz that uh, at night, you know, we, we read a story and we say prayer and we do different things. And there was a time in our life, she always went, one time there was this guy and he was in college. And this girl came and sat down beside him. And he thought she was pretty. And I would go through this story and I would get to the end about how this these people had a beautiful daughter, right? And, and eventually she goes, are you talking about me? Is this about you, Mom? Is this you all? And so then later when I would start that story, she'd say, don't, talk, don't tell a story about me. Don't tell a story about us. Make one up. Make one up. Uh, but there were several times that I would tell her a story from my life as a kid or uh, Bethany's life or our life together, things that she didn't know about. She wouldn't even know she was hearing a story about her life. Well, here Jesus, when he begins to speak, and he says there was a certain man who owned a vineyard, these Jewish leaders immediately knew he was talking about Israel. The Old Testament was full of references to God's chosen people as his vineyard. And immediately, they had to think, not another story about me. He's talking about us. This story is going to be about us. Like I'm sure they wanted to stop him right at that point. They knew that Jesus was telling a story about them. This parable, some of these parables are pretty deep, and you've got to dig kind of hard to figure out what was Jesus talking about. Uh, this one is almost a straight-ahead, what's called in literature, an allegory. So you didn't sign up to learn English today, uh, but it's free, no extra charge. It's an allegory. It's really this, this, this detailed story where the characters and people represent something totally different. Many of you love a very popular allegory and probably don't even know that it is, uh, a movie or a play called The Wizard of Oz. Anyone know The Wizard of Oz? That is a political allegory from the early 1900s. Now I need to wake everybody up. 
Everybody's like so riveted about the history of the Wizard of Oz. But it's an allegory. The Tin Man, the, the, the Scarecrow, Oz, uh, all these things represented things. Oz was short. You know what that's an abbreviation for, O-Z? Ounce. And it was the gold standard, silver standard that America started using to hurt the farmers and the populace. It's all a story. And this is the same that's true for this one that Jesus was telling. I just want to give you who are the characters in this story and the parable and what do they mean, who was Jesus talking about, and then we're going to get in to the story. This just kind of helps lay it out. Uh, in the parable, we had a vineyard owner. That's God. Uh, we had a vineyard. That is the nation of Israel. That is the people that God chosen as his people. The tenants were the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders that were listening to him at this very moment. The servants of the vineyard owner were the prophets of God, people who had, God had sent to share his truth and his message over the years to Israel. The son of the vineyard owner was none other than Jesus himself. And then the others, you saw at the end where he says, um, uh, he says he will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. That would be the Gentiles. That would be the people outside of the Jewish tradition. That would be not the nation of Israel. This is what he's speaking at this time. So you got that. You got the vineyard owner is God. You got the vineyard is Israel. The tenants were the Jewish leaders, people he's speaking to at the time. The servants of the vineyard owner were the prophets of God. Uh, and the son of the vineyard owner was Jesus. And the others are us, the Gentiles. Now, we spent uh, many months in Ephesians speaking, uh, learning from a letter that was written to the church. was written to Christians written to people who profess their faith. Many of these parables are not aimed at the church. This one specifically was written to uh, a group of people who were non-believers. This morning's message uh, has no choice but to be And we find here that Jesus is speaking to an audience uh, a, a, that has chose to be irritated and had their heart hardened by it. And that's, that's one of the options. Either you're going to hear the truth this morning and your heart's going to be hardened by it and you're going to be irritated and you're going to move on and you're going to go do other things. Or you're going to be impressed by it and you're going to be co converted by it. You're going you're gonna to be called to repentance and say, that's the truth of who Jesus is. I accept that. I believe it. I give my life to him. 
Now, I love, uh, I love each and every person that walks through that door. And I don't know where everybody stands in their, their faith walk. We may have had people that have been coming faithfully for weeks and months and years and may have never given your heart uh, uh, to Christ. I don't know. And to be honest, it's not that impactful for me in the choice that you make. But the, the choice that you make means eternity has an eternal impact for you. As Jesus began to speak these words, if you wonder, well, what would God say to me? I don't really, you know, I, I, I don't really, I've never really professed my faith in Christ. I would not call myself a Christian. I may, you may come to church, but you may have never made that profession of faith. What would Jesus say to me? This is what he said to them. These are his words. And what he said, today you're going to be confronted with the truth of Jesus and you've got to choose what to do with it. You know, since we've moved into this space, I think we've almost doubled the people that are coming, so many new people. I love it. I love all of you. And, and some of you are coming because somebody invited you. Some of you are coming because your spouse wants you to come. Some, some of you are coming just because it's something new. Some of you may be running from things at other places. I don't know. I don't care. God doesn't care. I'm just so glad. I'm so thankful you're here. And, and God has used whatever it is that brought you here today to be confronted with some truth and to realize we've got to do uh, something with it. Some of you may be coming because you feel like church is the right thing to do and by coming you're somehow doing enough to keep God happy so that life goes well. This audience is uh, that Jesus is talking to is bitter. They've turned against Jesus. They don't believe he is who he says he is. He's actually not come out and said it to them yet until now because he knows his time is drawing near. So they immediately knew when he starts speaking that the vineyard is Israel and that they are the tenants. So what in the world is this story? How does it apply to us 2,000 years later? How is it relevant? There's three ways it's relevant. I shared it on Facebook last night. We're going to learn them. This, this three things uh, that this tells us. One, it tells us some things about ourselves as uh, fellow members of humanity, as a human. This is going to tell you some things about yourself. It's, it, 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 he tells us some things about Jesus. We're going to learn some things about Jesus in this story. And then we learn some things about the future. The response of these tenants uh, is mirrored in our own lives in many ways. In many ways. That, what did the tenants do? What's a tenant? 
somebody who's renting a farm. Let me, let me, let me tell you this story in, uh, in today's terms. A man owned a farm. He couldn't farm it himself. He rented it out to some tenants, some people that would come in and farm it for him. Part of the agreement was that these renters were going to provide at harvest time a portion of the fruit that was born. And that, you know, at my garden, I'd have been rent-free pretty much because uh, our garden doesn't do very well. But they were supposed to pay some of the fruit, whatever, whatever they had at the end, a percentage of that was supposed to go to the owner of the vineyard. It comes harvest time. The man has gone away for some time. He sends his servants. It's time for them to pay up. They've been renting the space. The servants show up to basically pick up the rent check. And what happens? The renters beat them up. Now, some of you may have rental property and you say, that sounds like my renters. Some of you may have been renters at some point and been the bad renter, the one you never want to get. You know, we rented our house out for a little while. We'd moved uh, for a year and a half. God brought us uh, fantastic renters. I mean, God really blessed us. When we said we're going to rent our house out, everybody said, don't do it. Don't do it. But God blessed us. Here, this man in this story got the bad renters, the renters that you, you think everything's good and you show up after three months and there's holes in the wall, the curtains are torn down, the toilet's full of concrete. I mean, it's whatever in the world can happen when you have renters. Well, these are bad renters. He shows up to collect the check and he, the, his servant gets beat up. So he sends servants again. They get beat up. And finally, after so much time, he's like, uh, this, this isn't enough. Maybe if I send my son, they will give him enough respect and not beat him up, and they'll pay what's due me. So he sends his son. They don't just beat him up, they kill him. Remember, God is speaking to Israel here. He said, I've sent you, Israel. I've sent you prophets. I've, I've told you my son was coming. I've, I've, I've told you the truth. I've given you opportunity to do it. And now Jesus is saying, and I don't want to get ahead of myself here, but Jesus is saying powerful things to this when he says, he sent his son whom he loved. Because they were just asking him about his baptism. Remember what happened when Jesus was baptized? What happened? Heaven opened up and God said, this is my son whom I love and I'm proud of. Oh my God, he's speaking right into these people's face. I mean, he is speaking right into their pride, right, right into their sin, right into their arrogance. He's speaking. This is uh, a savage Jesus. This is him going after them. You have to see that. He's telling them, I know you're going to kill me. That's the story. Here's what it tells us about ourselves, our life. We mirror those tenets. We want to be in control, don't we? Don't we want to own our own future, own our own decisions? We want to individually, we want to make our own decisions about what is right and what is wrong. We 
uh, we want um, we don't want to share our fruits uh, with God, the good things that He has given us, our gifts, our talents. We become our own security or protection, provision. There's three things they did here. One, uh, they had a privilege, and this is what Alistair, Alistair Begg put it. This is how Alistair Begg, pastor up around Cleveland. Uh, he said they had three things, three things in their life that tells about itself. One, they, they had privileges that they abused. Privileges that they abused. Two, he said uh, that uh, they, generosity shared upon them that they despised. They had good things given to them, and they despised it. And then they had responsibilities that they had sidestepped. Here's what I want to ask. Um, we grew up in the Bible Belt, most of us. Privileged. To hear the truth. Over years to hear about the word of God. To have many messengers over our lives that have told us about who God is. And who Jesus is. And there are some of you in this room. Some of you may be saved now. Maybe not saved yet. But over the years you have in a hypothetical matter. You have beat the messengers up and sent them back home whether it's a family member that's prayed for you and shared the message and truth of who Jesus is, whether it's a preacher, whether it's a friend, whether it's a neighbor. We want to be on our own. We want to have our own truth, our own right and wrong. We want full moral autonomy. We want to define our own moral compass. We want to justify our actions and our behaviors. We don't want to be renters. And I'm not talking about just you, and I'm talking about every human that's ever. We don't want to be renters. We don't want to admit that anything that we have is because God has blessed us with it. We want to own our own life. We want to own our own things. We want to own our own success. We want to own our own family. We want to own our own home. We want to own our material things. We we want to own it. It is in your DNA to do. Be just driven to do whatever you want to do. To be in control. To wake up and say, today's my day. I'm going to do what I want. And I'll do what feels good. I'll do what's fun. What's the old saying? I'll live fast, die young, leave a smoking crater, something like that. I don't know. Some saying out there. That's poetry, isn't it? That's in our DNA, to be our own God. <clears throat> to be our own God. We've been blessed with so many things. Uh, I mean, being born in the Bible, but with access to the truth. We live in America. We've been, I mean, you think we don't have privileges that we take advantage of? That, that we feel like we deserve, that we abuse. I mean, just think about this thing. 
In in the last hundred years, you know, we landed a man on the moon. I mean, that's kind of incredible when you think about over the eras of time and the ages and the thousands of years that people have looked at that thing in the sky and studied it and wondered about it, and we put a man there. And and we hold in our hands this iPhone or Android if you're not cool. Uh, This. More, uh, first of all, memory that's in this. Wait, let's say computing speed that's in this. 100,000 times faster than the computer that landed the shuttle on the moon in your pocket. Memory, over a million times more. It had like 32 kilobytes of RAM or something in the computer on the shuttle that landed on the moon. Over a million times faster. And you know what we do with it? Play Candy Crush. (laughs) Angry Birds. We chase invisible Pokemon. Or we use it to get on social media. And either spend our time looking at what everybody else is and making ourselves feel worse about ourselves. Because what do you, I mean, what do you put on Facebook? You put your best foot forward and then you feel like everybody else's life is perfect and yours is not and it gets you down. And, but this is, in our DNA, it is in us that when we find privileges, when we get blessings, we abuse them. We want to take credit. We want to own it. We want to be our own God. They had a responsibility that they shirked, that they sidestepped. They were supposed to pay their rent. They were supposed to share the fruit. First of all, they were supposed to bear fruit. And then they were supposed to give a percentage of it. And they did not. Maybe we've been there. Maybe we're, we're doing good things and we're giving God no credit for it. Maybe we're making no contribution. Maybe we're not giving in a way that we should. Or maybe we've been going to church so long and there's really no fruit of our obedience to even give back. And we have to look at our own selves and say, have I put my faith and trust in Jesus? Do I have a personal relationship with him? Second thing here, it teaches us uh, about Jesus. It teaches us about ourselves. It teaches that we are we abuse our privileges. We we sidestep our responsibilities. We'll do anything to be our own God. But we find here that Jesus, as He's speaking to them. Uh, is just in, in, I mean, really, he's being so raw with them because he is kind of held back to this point. He's not come out and said, I am the Messiah, I am the Son of God. He's made little hidden references. But at this point, and maybe not when we read it, but when you understand the context and who he was talking to, and you see at the end of the passage of Scripture, they come out and say, they knew he was talking about them. 
He is speaking to these people. And I, and I used to think that these religious leaders, I used to think they were so blinded. They were so blinded by their own pride and their, 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 their own, they felt like they were superior and they felt like they, they had it all figured out. I thought they were so blinded by that that they couldn't even see that Jesus was the Messiah they had been praying for and looking to and that they'd studied about and they knew a Messiah was coming. And I thought they were blinded to it. And they just didn't realize who he was. But I think here in these tenets, in them, we find ourselves that it's not that they didn't know who he was, but they were so prideful. I mean, they, they, were, they wanted to be in control so bad of their life and of Israel that, yeah, let's talk about we hope a Messiah comes. But when he came, they wanted to kill him. This is where our heart starts. That we're so prideful. Maybe we do know who he is, but we just don't want to admit it. We don't want to give in to it. We don't want to give up what we think is fun and is joy. In a sense, he's answering their question about whose authority he has come on. He's saying, see all these messengers that came before me, they were prophets. But I am different. I'm not just another prophet. You see, so many other religions will take Jesus and put him there. And so many people in the world, and if you go to college, and they'll talk about how, oh yeah, Jesus was a great teacher. He is someone, his readings are, let's, let's be good. I think they're great to read. And, and you know, the, the Christian faith, it has great utility because it causes us to do good things like feed the poor and take care of other people and give and love. And those things are good, what Jesus taught. But he was just a teacher. There are really no scholars that, nobody argues that Jesus existed. It's pretty much unanimous there was a man named Jesus that walked 2,000 years ago, that had followers. The debate becomes on whether he was God or not, whether he was God's son or not. That's the decision we have to make when we're confronted with it. Do we believe he was the son of God? These religious leaders knew he was, but it hardened their hearts. They were asking about John's authority. They were asking about Jesus' authority. And he says, I've been sent from my father. You're God. The one you're out here bragging about and acting like you are so faithful to. He sent me here to tell you That not only are you going to learn something about yourself, you're going to learn something about Jesus, you're going to learn something about the future, you're going to be judged. There's going to come a day. There's going to come a day. Now we don't get, you've not heard many messages like this from me just because we've been in the book of Ephesians and he's been preaching, teaching. The church. 
But this morning, I'm speaking to each and every person here. There will be a day. You see, in this story, you find great patience from God. But it's not infinite. You find that he sent one group of servants, and he sent another group of servants, and he's given them time, and, and he sent people to speak to you. And he sent things and situations in your life to speak to you, these messengers. That, you know, maybe it was a grandmother, grandparent, that you just said, oh, that's not cool. And yet what they were speaking to you is of eternal significance. And it is full of truth. And he says eventually, and he's stuck into the, the nation of Israel this time. He said, God, you were God's chosen people and you've wrecked it. And because you've wrecked it, I'm going to share my love and grace with the others. And in Acts, you find that happen. Not too long after Jesus tells this story. When God's word goes outside the walls of Jerusalem, when it goes outside the nation of Israel, and it says people were getting saved and converted for all around the region, and the church began to grow all the way into Pikeville, Kentucky over 2,000 years. Amen. And the truth that Jesus spoke said, For whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life became true to anyone who heard it. And eventually, this patience is going to run out. And he, Jesus was saying, this was rough. Like, I mean, he was saying, I mean, I mean, he's saying this. And it says at the end of it, I mean, they know what he's saying. It's just, I mean, it just blows my mind. And they say they're still trying to find a reason to kill him. At the end of this, it just fuels their fire. They don't realize that, 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 I mean, they just don't have the humility. Their heart is so hardened. There will be somebody here this morning that your heart is so hardened to your creator, you will walk out that door. And here's the thing. Here's the thing that... Uh, We say we want to be in control, we want to be master of our own destiny, we want to be able to create, we want credit for all the good things that have happened in your life. I want all this, I want all this. You know what Jesus does when you say that? He grants it to you. Here's the thing about love and it, it comes with free will. And a choice that you make. A decision that you make. Because forced love isn't real love. And if you choose to be your own God, he lets you do it. He will not send you to hell. But he'll send broken hearted and watch you walk into it. This morning as we get ready to close, there's two options you can do with this truth. 
You could say, it's just not cool enough. It's just not right enough. You can say, my friend's this, my friend's that. You can say whatever you want to say. Make whatever excuses you want to make. You can justify it however you want to justify it. It doesn't change the truth. The only hope of heaven is in faith in Jesus Christ. You'll either be hardened this morning. You'll either be leaving and saying, I can't believe he said all that. And you'll be irritated and you'll go home and everybody will be in a bad mood. Or you'll leave broken. What does it say? What does he say at the end? He says, Jesus looked directly at them. He looked them in the eye. And he quoted the Old Testament. He said, what is the meaning of that which is written? The stone the builders rejected. He's talking to them. They're the builders. They're building the church. And if, you're, if you know anything about construction, that first cornerstone, the foundation stone, has got to be just right. And as they were building the church, and many churches today do it, they pick up Jesus and they look at it and they say, just isn't right. We're not going to build on that. And in your life, you'll look at things, you'll look at Jesus and say, I'm not going to build on that. I'm going to build on, on, on wealth and materials. I'm going to build on success. I'm going to build on you know, my reputation. I'm going to build on you know, whatever you choose to make the cornerstone of your life. Jesus is saying, you rejected me. You threw me to the side and picked something else. But he says, who falls on that stone is broken. It's come, you come knowing. God, I am that way. I am selfish. God, I have sinned. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It says that our righteousness are as filthy rags before him. And that we have to come broken. Broken in our heart, broken hearted, for, sad for the sin, the heartache that we've caused him, heartache for Jesus on the cross, and we have to come with that brokenness. And he mends us back together. So you either become impressed and converted, or you become irritated and your heart becomes hardened. And he says, on any, anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. Hell is this. Time has ran out. Patience is done. You think God loves looking down and seeing all the bad, the sin, the evil things that are happening. No, at some point, at some point, the Old Testament says God is holding all this together and at the point the creator says, I'm done, his patience runs out. You're eternally separated from God. 